Welch, what's up, everybody? What is up? What is up? How's everybody doing today? So, um, what does everybody think about the new studio? You like the new studio design, or I'm liking it. You know, I was I was reading through some of the comments, and um, I think the consensus is that it actually is better. That most people prefer this current studio design to what it was before. This current studio setup, I should call it. It's not a design. Um, I fucking love it. I'm looking at it right now. I think it's, um, I just think it's better. I just think it's a, it's a more like podcasty look, which is obviously what I prefer. Um, anyway, already babbling way off topic, a lot of stuff to get to today. Um, we will be talking about president Trump basically being permanently banned from Twitter and nearly purged from, uh, social media sites and, and the internet writ large. We have, um, a new poll on the reaction from the American people to the attempted insurrection. Um, I actually think there's some positive, like there's a lot of positive numbers coming out of that that should make you, you know, breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief. Um, I also have Joe Manchin slapping down the idea of $2,000 checks, but fear not, there's still a pathway if Democrats um, grab Hawley and do reconciliation. So we'll talk about that. Um, and then later on in the show, I have Tucker Carlson, Alex Jones, with some surprising takes that you really, really would not expect from Alex Jones. So uh, there's a lot there as well. And Morning Joe discovers that perhaps FDR was right about everything. <laughs> that is one hell of a segment, if I don't say so myself, that Morning Joe realizes that FDR is right about everything. Um, so, all right, without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. And uh, we're going to do that with President Trump and what's been going on with him. Here we go. So President Trump has been permanently banned. And honestly, he's nearly been purged from every single social media site online. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and run through it for you so you know the specifics. Um, what you're about to hear, all of these sites, all these outlets, He's either permanently banned or, like, banned at least until the inauguration, and then they're going to revisit it. It depends. You know, you got to go site, site for site here, site by site. Um, but there's been basically disciplinary action taken by Facebook, Instagram, which is apparently part of Facebook. They banned him at least until Inauguration Day. Reddit banned him for inciting violence. Twitch banned him from posting new content at least until Inauguration Day. Um, YouTube removed some specific Trump videos that allegedly advocated violence. Um, Snapchat locked Trump's account. TikTok banned certain videos of Trump for promoting violence. Discord banned the Donald server. And then here's another one that's, um, this one's real left field to me, but Shopify took down two Trump online stores. They took down two Trump online stores. So listen, effectively, what we're talking about here is an attempt to do the internet death penalty. That's what it is. Now, obviously, the incident that led to this reaction was, you could call it the coup attempt, the attempted insurrection, the riot, whatever you want to refer to it as. I'm not going to you know, argue too much over how you want to define it and how you want to label it, um, but... 
what happened was you had this event that was supposed to happen in D.C. with all of President Trump's people. Trump went and gave a speech at the rally where he basically said, we have to be tough, we have to be strong, we have to make sure that everybody knows we won this election, it was a fraudulent election, and we have to fight. We have to make sure we fight. So if you go watch you know, the wording in the speech that he gave to his people before they stormed the Capitol, yes, there's a lot of really bad stuff that he said there, which can easily be interpreted as like, go do the thing that you ended up doing. Um, but then what happened was, as this was going on, th- there were conflicting reports about how Trump was reacting behind the scenes. Um, but he went on Twitter, and he basically spoke out of both sides of his mouth. So as the attempted insurrection was happening, Trump went on Twitter, and he basically said, we love our law enforcement, we support our law enforcement, everybody be peaceful with our law enforcement, because there were reports that some of the Capitol Police were getting hurt by the protesters. Um, So he goes out there and says, you know, be peaceful, make sure you protect our boys in blue. But then he also would say in the very next sentence that, This was a fraudulent election. This was a stolen election. It's unacceptable what happened with this election. And so he was speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Hey, be peaceful and and support our police officers and law enforcement. And also, isn't this a terrible fraudulent election? Shouldn't we all be really pissed off about the results? And this is unacceptable, and maybe somebody should do something about it. So he did that. He did that a number of times. He did that a number of times. Now, The next day, Trump came out, and apparently, you know, his own staffers finally got through to him, and he basically gave a speech that was more conciliatory, and he said, like, yeah, there's going to be a peaceful transition to power, and, um, you know, he kind of was more clearly against the attempted insurrection the next day, effectively throwing his own most hardcore supporters under the bus because of what ended up happening. There were reports he didn't like the optics of it, and it looked low class to him, like what people were trying to do and the fact that you had a number of people died, over 50 injuries, like five or six people, I think, died, including some uh, police officers. At least one was, like, beaten to death, which is, again, this is from the crowd of people that say they're the most pro-police, and then that ended up happening. But so he, to- he sort of flipped his tone the next day and um, kind of came out against what happened. Okay. Well, you know, then you have the Internet death penalty effectively happens. They basically kicked him off the Internet as much as humanly possible. Obviously, at the top levels, uh, there was coordination. Now, what makes sense in this scenario? What, what is reasonable? What's unreasonable? Well, you guys know my general take when it comes to social media sites. I'm of the belief that the big social media sites should effectively be treated as the new public square. They should be public utilities. You should have the First Amendment expanded to, you know, protect free speech on these platforms. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that literally anything goes because, you know, you can't. I mean, the best example of exceptions to freedom of speech are like direct threats of violence. So if somebody does a direct threat of violence, that doesn't you're not protected to do that. You're not protected to do a direct threat of violence. Um, that even violates the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, and it's illegal. So then the question becomes, okay, well, is what happened here a direct threat of violence? So in other words, was Trump flat out inciting the riot? And if you look at that question and your conclusion is like, yes, Trump was doing that, well, then you could look at the actions of Twitter and you could look at the actions of perhaps some of the other outlets and say, 
It's not them, it's him. He was directly inciting violence, and he was egging these people on, and so they took appropriate action. That's how some people might view it. And, you know, my opinion on it, and I understand that, because I polled you guys on whether or not it was fair, whether or not it was the right thing for Twitter to ban Trump in the wake of what happened this week, and 68% of my own audience said, yes, in fact, it is fair for them to do what they did. I do have to say, I think Trump spoke out of both sides of his mouth, and he gave himself just enough cover where he wasn't directly threatening violence. And this comes down to a conversation about the, basically the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law, the letter of the intent versus the spirit of the intent. So like, if you quote everything Trump said and write it down on a piece of paper, um, what you see is, yeah, he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He's saying, be peaceful to our officers. You know, we, we need to make sure that we protect our boys in blue. And also, this election was fraudulent and terrible and wrong. And somebody needs to do something about it. So there's enough, on paper, there's enough wiggle room that he gave himself where it's not a direct incitement of violence. I don't see that at all. But in terms of the spirit of what he was saying, yeah, I think he certainly violates the spirit of it. And he's clearly egging them on, even though he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. So, again, the question becomes... Do you view it as a direct threat of violence? Do you view it as a direct incitement of violence? Or do you think he left himself enough wiggle room where effectively he can sort of get out of it? And as much as it pains me to say it, I think it's totally true. I think he left himself enough wiggle room where he could get out of it. Now, that didn't stop these outlets from doing what they did and effectively banning him. But listen, then that gets into a, a, a much broader conversation, which is a lot of these outlets, like Trump didn't even say those things on a lot of the outlets that ended up banning him. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't say these things on Discord. He didn't say these things on Reddit or Twitch. Um, These things weren't said on Facebook. But Facebook took the action and was like, well, we're going to ban him anyway. And so then it becomes, like, it's not even like these outlets are reacting to, to, for example, a direct incitement of violence on their platforms. They're saying, hey, this guy did something that we view as a direct incitement of violence, again, debatable, but they could say that, elsewhere, and since he did it elsewhere, we're going to pretend like it was on our platform and we're just going to ban him from our platform too. So effectively what they're saying is, we don't like him, he's dangerous, he's bad, and so we're going to ban him because we don't like him, he's dangerous and he's bad. So again, it's not like he did these things on their platforms, they're just like, he could potentially maybe do something like that also on our platform, and so we're going to go after him. And then a really good, you know, point is, but, so if you're banning him and he's the only world leader that's banned, is the argument that Donald Trump, like, there are dictators that exist in this world. There are dictators that exist in this world. There are people who are just as bad, if not worse, than Donald Trump, who run countries, who have power, you know? Um, You can't tell me that, like, we'll keep Benjamin Netanyahu up, but we're going to ban Trump because we don't like Trump and Trump does direct incitement of violence. Whatever Trump's done on that front, you bet your ass that (laughs) go talk to a Palestinian about Benjamin Netanyahu and, you know, the 2014, for example, just destruction of Gaza where they bomb civilians nonstop. Like there's no argument that only Trump is bad enough to merit this kind of treatment. If you're going to open this door and do this kind of treatment, what the fuck is your standard? What is your standard? I mean, there's dictators in the world. There's, you know, there's a, um, there's a genocide of Rohingya Muslims. There's, look at what Saudi Arabia is doing to Yemen, effectively doing genocide and creating a famine. 
So you're, you're going to tell me that perhaps like top Saudi government officials can remain on these platforms, but Trump has to go when, you know, there's people who are just as bad, if not worse than Donald Trump on these platforms. So the problem here is there, there is no standard. They're just saying like, we don't like him. He's done bad things and he might do bad things. And so he's got to go. And I'm not trying to downplay how serious what happened at the Capitol was. It is very, very, very serious. And there needs to be consequences. And I'll talk about those consequences in a different segment as to what I think the proper approach is and to how to deal with this. Because, yes, you can't get away. I don't think you, you should let Trump get away with effectively egging on, uh, you know, an attempted insurrection and have no consequences for that. That's crazy. Of course there should be consequences. But they really did, all the social media outlets really did drop the hammer. And what everybody is saying here is they're buying into the logic of unaccountable, Silicon Valley oligarch billionaires should be able to, to shape the public discourse, which means Mark Zuckerberg and Jack have more power and more authority than the democratically elected leader of the United States of America, who is supposed to be, in theory, the most powerful person in the world. I don't want to buy into that framework. I don't think you can, can or should have a closed process that's like an authoritarian process where the heads of these social media outlets can just give somebody the internet death penalty, have no standard whereby they do it, and then you have like at least half the people sort of defending their actions. I don't think that that makes sense. And just so you know, I'm not even like, it's not even like we make a slippery slope argument as like, well, what if X, Y, and Z starts happening to the left? Because you don't need the slippery slope argument because it's already happening. On Twitter, for example, the Red Scare podcast was suspended, and that's like a, a left-wing sort of anti-woke podcast. We already saw this with uh, Chapo Trap House on Reddit. They were banned on Reddit. Um, if you don't think that the censorship affects the left, go talk to the people from the gray zone. Go talk to Abby Martin. Go talk to Rania Kalik, Benjamin Norton, Max Blumenthal. These are all people who at one point or another have effectively been censored or deplatformed. You know, um, again, like I said previously, go talk to any sort of pro-Palestine activist groups and they get knocked for anti-Semitism, even when they're not being anti-Semitic and they get their stuff pulled down. So, uh, you know, my issue here is with the principle of how we make these decisions. And I don't think that these giant social media companies should have the power that they have. Uh, listen, I get it. Don't get me wrong. Am I a total free speech anarchist where anything goes at all times? No, of course not. You can't abuse somebody. You can't harass somebody. You can't do direct threats of violence. You can't do libel. You can't do slander. But if Trump was basically directly inciting the coup and it, you know, it was doing direct threats of violence, then use the legal process and go through the legal process in order to go after him. You know, we can redress these grievances through the framework we already have set up. Just like by the same token, I don't want Patriot Act 2.0 for what happened at the Capitol and further restrictions of civil liberties. I want you to use the laws that we already have on the books to go after the people who violated the law. You understand what I'm saying? So, you know, there's whatever it is, five or six people who died. Go after the people who did this. They already arrested the guy who broke into Nancy Pelosi's office and stole her laptop or something like that. They already arrested a lot of these people who directly violated laws. Trump signed something earlier in the year, I think in response like BLM riots and protests where he was like, if you harm a statue, a, a federal statue or something, a government statue, that you get like 10 years in prison. Okay, well, if you're harming, if you're doing something that's, you know, breaking windows on federal property or whatever, you can use that same law and go after these people. I don't want new 
laws. I don't want Patriot Act 2.0. I want to go after people with the existing laws that are already there. You don't need to come up with new, more punitive, more restrictive, anti-civil libertarian laws. And so to the extent that you know, anybody does direct threats of violence or abuse or incitement on any of the social media platforms, yes, use the existing infrastructure. Again, I think the solution is um, regulate all these as public utilities, all these big social media companies, so you expand First Amendment protections, but that doesn't mean it's literally anything goes. And so far, somebody actually does incitement of violence or direct threats of violence. That is illegal, but go after them in an open, you know, an open democratic judicial process. As opposed to now, I, I refuse to say it makes sense to give Silicon Valley oligarch billionaires veto power over the public discourse to take down whoever the hell they want to take down. Um, and unfortunately, that's where we are. Like, you can't, listen, you can't even make the case that what Shopify did was reasonable. Shopify, I mean, I, there's at least some sort of stretch of an argument for the other social media companies like, hey... We think Trump was inciting violence, so we're going to take him down from all the social media outlets because, um, you know, maybe he can incite violence on our platforms. So at least there's a stretch of an argument for those uh, outlets. But when it comes to Shopify, what's he going to do? It, incite violence through his a Trump online store? Of course he's not going to do that. So why would you pull that down? Because they're just trying to give him the Internet death penalty because they think he crossed the line where he, it's merited that he gets the internet death penalty, and it doesn't matter that he didn't violate any specific rules or laws on that particular platform. We don't like him, so we're going to take him down. Okay, but then by that same logic, maybe Benjamin Netanyahu who should be pulled down. Uh, Mohammed bin Salman should be pulled down. Well, you have people on Twitter who are like convicted murderers. Convicted murderers. So if we're saying it doesn't ha- the things that are bad, don't even have to be done on those particular platforms. If you're just bad enough of a person, we're going to take you down. Well, then shouldn't you take down every single murderer? Right? So again, there's no standard. There's no standard that we're using here. People are just saying, okay, Silicon Valley oligarch billionaires can get veto power over all of public discourse. And I don't, be careful what you wish for. I don't think people really realize what they're getting themselves into. Um, Now, again, I'll talk in a little bit about what the actual correct response is and should be? What consequences should there be for what Trump did, which helped lead to the riots and the attempted insurrection? We're going to talk about that. And there should be consequences. I want to be clear about that. You don't just get away with egging on, you know, insurrectionists effectively. But in terms of the reaction from the social media companies, I do think we are kind of in a a post 9-11 mode where everybody's just sort of shutting off their brain and reacting more emotionally and they don't even realize the path that we're going down. It's a very Patriot Act-like path, and you're handing the keys of the, of the kingdom over to, to Jack and over to uh, Mark Zuckerberg and others, and they shouldn't have this kind of power that we're giving them. So I understand that this is a take of mine that you know a lot of people in my own audience are going to disagree with and perhaps disagree with vehemently. But, you know, I don't want to sound smug or anything, but I do think that there will come a time where you'll look back and be like, oh, I now see why he said the things that he said and why he took the position that he took. Because how long did it take before we all realized, for example, how bad and wrong the Patriot Act was? You know, what was it, five years after it was passed where everybody realized? Or maybe it was as soon as the 
the Snowden leaks came out where everybody realized, like, oh, my God, what did we get ourselves into? This law is obviously terrible. And at the time, everybody was like, what? it's the Patriot Act. If you're a patriot, you support it. That's what the discourse was at the time. Do you want to protect us from the terrorists or not? So there's a lot of that sort of stuff going on now in terms of this, where, you know, people think if you're not in favor of the Internet death penalty for President Trump, that effectively you're like pro-insurrection or pro-terrorist and you're like soft on white supremacist terrorists or whatever. I think that's silly. And I think people really need to think about the consequences of their actions and the consequences of what they're advocating for. And I don't see a lot of that occurring right now. Okay, now... All right, here we go. Now I'm going to tell you what should happen. It should happen um, with President Trump. So everybody knows um, there was an attempted insurrection, uh, an attempted coup, a diet coup, a riot, however you want to refer to it. I don't really care. You use whatever term you want to use. Um, and we've now had enough time where we could look back on it and digest the entire way that it unfolded, right? So to run through it real quick, you had this rally, this event, this protest that was supposed to happen in Washington, D.C. President Trump and his sons went and gave speeches at this rally, and Trump was basically saying, we have to be strong, we have to be strong, we can't be weak in moments like this, and we have to hold people accountable. It was a fraudulent election, it was a rigged election, and let's go to the Capitol. And so very clearly sort of egging these people on, right? He didn't say at any point, like, go break in and threaten physical violence or whatever. He didn't say that, but he did egg them on to, like, go to the Capitol. He has been egging them on in terms of screaming fraudulent election nonstop. Um, then, of course, they went to the Capitol, and all mayhem broke loose. And you had some cops who were literally in on it and, like, allowing the protesters through to be on the property, some cops who were not in on it, at least five or six people died, at least 50 injuries. Um, there were some people with guns. There were, you know, they were threatening to hang Mike Pence because they viewed Pence as turning on Trump. It was absolutely terrible. So um, what Trump did when it was very clear that things had gotten out of hand is he took to Twitter and yet again, he spoke out of both sides of his mouth. And so his, his commentary on Twitter was like, the police officers... The police officers, we must protect our police officers. We support our boys in blue, and we must continue to support our boys in blue and make sure we do the right thing and we take care of them. And also, this election was totally fraudulent and totally rigged and terrible, and maybe somebody should do something about it. I don't know if it should stand. Terrible fraudulent election, rigged election. It was taken from us. It was taken from us. So, again, both messages there at the same time. Fraudulent election, fraudulent election, fraudulent election. Somebody should do something about it. But also, hey, be peaceful, don't hurt our boys in blue, because there were reports that the cops were, you know, the victims of attacks at that time. Um, so he did that a number of times. And um, the rest of the event unfolded as it unfolded. Eventually, it was brought under control. Um, the next day, Trump comes out, and he basically gives a speech, throwing his supporters under the bus, the people who were at um, the attempted insurrection, the diet coup, as I call it. Um, he basically threw them under the bus and said, yeah, I will sort of, I'll, I'll concede and there will be a peaceful transition of power. So what the hell are we supposed to do now? Because 
the media was reacting in a somewhat reasonable way where they were like, well, there can't just be no consequences for this. The Democrats are trying to grapple with, well, what the hell do we do specifically? The initial conversation was about the 25th Amendment, that if Mike Pence, the vice president, and a number of the staffers agreed to do the 25th Amendment, you could just get Trump out of office pretty much immediately, like he would no longer be president immediately. Um, And there was talk that maybe Pence would do it because the Trump supporters were talking about hanging Pence, and Trump had turned on Pence and threw him under the bus after Pence had been loyal his entire term. Nobody's been more loyal to Trump than Pence, and Trump still threw Pence under the bus because Pence didn't go out there and say, I'm objecting to the results of this election, even though I have no power to overturn it. So there was a chance. I thought, hey, maybe there's a chance here that they do the 25th Amendment because Pence feels slighted, and Trump really is a danger right now. So maybe they'll do that. Well, now there's conflicting reports. Um, I think that if they were going to do the 25th Amendment, they would have already done it by now, and they didn't do it yet. Um, So I don't think they're going to do the 25th Amendment, even though there's been chatter about how Pence has gone back and forth on whether or not to do that. Well, then the next thing people are bringing up is, well, we should do impeachment. Because, again, there needs to be some consequences for Trump effectively egging on these people who are trying to do an insurrection. Um, Now, I think there are a number of issues with that. First of all, this is just a minor point, but I still think it's relevant to bring up in the context of the story. I don't think they'll get near the numbers that they would need to do it. Again, if it's the right thing in principle to do it, then it doesn't matter that you can't get the the right number of people. You should do it as a matter of principle. Um, But they want to try that. But then there's another problem of like, even if you get it done, He's only in office for, what, 10 more days now? So, like, what are you going to do, get him out, like, a day early, maybe? (laughs) Or would it be, like, would you even get the conclusion of it, like, after he's already out of office, which just seems almost like a total waste of time and just, like, a virtue signaling exercise? Um, But more importantly, I actually think that on the merits, it's a much more complex picture than people are giving it credit for, on the merits of impeachment. Now, again, I'll get to what the consequences should be for what Trump did in a second, but... I don't know why people are pretending like Trump didn't give himself wiggle room and speak out of both sides of his mouth. Of course he did. That's this classic Trump, you know, like in the minds of a lot of Democrats who are like, let's do impeachment. They're making it seem like Trump went out there and said, storm the Capitol, try to hang Mike Pence, try to kill everybody who's not on our side on this. And he didn't do that. He spoke out of both sides of his mouth. He gave himself wiggle room. He would say, be peaceful you know, don't hurt the cops. The cops are amazing. The cops are wonderful. And also, isn't this election so fraudulent and so rigged? And by the way, he also was very careful never to say, it's a fraudulent rigged election. And therefore, here's what I want you to do. He would just say fraudulent rigged election and basically, basically let people fill in the blank who are his own supporters with like, I know what he wants me to do. He wants me to go raise hell and go kill elected officials. Trump never said Fraudulent election, now go kill the officials. He just said fraudulent election, fraudulent election, fraudulent election, and egg them on, like with little nudges. So in terms of the actual substance of what he was saying, he left himself enough wiggle room where on the merits of impeachment, it's up in the air. It's not, it's not an open and shut case. Now, having said all that, okay, because I know a lot of people are listening now and pulling out their hair and saying, oh, my God, Kyle's going so weak on Trump. Wrong because I have the solution, and the solution didn't come from me. I saw it's a great article in The Nation. Um, so let me show you, and then I'll explain why this makes the most sense. Bar Trump from ever holding office again. 
On Friday, when House Democrats discussed responses to Trump's incitement of insurrection, there was some discussion of a 14th Amendment strategy for barring Trump from holding office in the future. Section 3 of the amendment declares, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state, who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. That's the crucial part. Section 5 of the amendment, which was enacted after the Civil War, Section 5 of the amendment, which was enacted after the Civil War with an eye toward preventing supporters of the Confederacy from returning to power, vests Congress with the authority to adopt appropriate legislation to enforce the other parts of the amendment. Okay, so, in layman's terms, here's what that means. If you partake in an insurrection or rebellion or give aid or comfort to the people who are doing it, well then, there's a 14th Amendment remedy to just, with a simple majority, with a simple majority, to ban you from ever holding elected office ever again. This is literally like the perfect scenario. This is the perfect solution. Because I don't think there's a question. I think there is a question as to whether or not there was direct incitement and direct threats of violence from Trump. I think that's, that's an open question. By the letter of what he said, there wasn't. But by the spirit of what he said, yes, there was. Clearly the spirit of it was, I, I will do anything by any means necessary to stay in power. Okay? But in terms of the letter of what he was saying, no, there was enough ambiguity, and he spoke out of both sides of his mouth. So that means we need some kind of recourse, which is, number one, doesn't require the incredibly high numbers that you need for impeachment. We need to get like 16 Republicans in, in the Senate. Um, but number two also is a punishment that fits the crime. So yes, Trump was being ambiguous, and Trump was speaking out of both sides of his mouth, but you cannot make a case to me that um, he wasn't giving aid or comfort to people who were trying to do an insurrection, because I think that's exactly what he was doing, which is why, you know, in one of the addresses, he said, you're, all, you're very special people. All of you are very special people. Okay, that alone is enough for me. People who are actively, in their minds, they really think they're going to overthrow the U.S. government and help Trump, and they're, like, awaiting further orders from Trump. So Trump sending messages to these people, first of all, egging them to go to the Capitol in the first place, talking about fraudulent election, rigged election, fraudulent election, rigged election, and then he calls them very special people as they're doing it. No, I think he's very clearly giving aid and comfort to people who are trying to do an insurrection, to people who are trying to do a rebellion. So I think that's an open and shut case. But also, all you need is a simple majority in the House and the Senate. You can get a simple majority in the House and the Senate. You can do it. You have the numbers for a simple majority. And if you pass, it, it's just, it's a regular legislative political move. It's just, it, it goes, it's a political process. So if you can get the majority in the House, you'll easily get it. If you can get the majority in the Senate, you'll probably get it. You just have to hold mansion, right? Well, then Trump can never hold elected office ever again. And the nightmare's over. That as soon as Trump is gone in 10 days, he's not going to hold elected office ever again. Um, I think this is the appropriate punishment. I think this is the appropriate punishment. I do think he was ambiguous enough, and he spoke out of both sides of his mouth enough, where he gave himself enough cover so that he would say, I don't know what you're talking about. This isn't an impeachable offense. I told them to be peaceful. I told them to, you know, be good to the cops. You know, I turned on them immediately the day after when I gave a speech and threw them under the bus. I don't know what you guys are talking about. This isn't impeachment worthy. What are you talking about? He's got enough wiggle room on that 
where he definitely doesn't have enough wiggle room is this 14th Amendment way to address the problem, where it is clear to me he was giving aid and comfort to people who were trying to do an insurrection, even though there was no chance of it succeeding, succeeding even though these people are, you know, it's like the, as one of that, the tweet said, the Duck Dynasty guys and guy in a Chewbacca bikini. So they're a mess and had no chance of succeeding. It was sort of a joke, but also people are dead. They had the intentionality of overthrowing the government in an authoritarian fashion to give it over to Trump. And Trump the entire time was, at the very least, egging them on, nudging them, winking. You know, So that's enough for me to say, under the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, you gave aid and comfort to people doing an insurrection or a rebellion, so you're never allowed to hold public office ever again. And again, all it takes is a simple majority in the House and the Senate. This is the solution. And these are the consequences. There, there should not be no consequences for what Trump did. Because what Trump did, the spirit of what he was doing was clear. Nudging these people on, giving a wink and a nod, fraudulent election, rigged election, fraudulent election, rigged election, all based on lies. He's lying. He's lying for his authoritarian ends. So how do we address that? Do we have nothing? So there's no, there's no trial there's no breaking the law. There's no trial. So he doesn't end up in prison. There's no impeachment. You're not going to get the proper numbers. And there's enough ambiguity where it wouldn't get through. So what are you going to do? Nothing? No, this is what you do. And it actually can work. And it's a punishment that fits the crime. So that's how you go after Trump for what he did here. You, you use the 14th Amendment. You bar him from future holding a public office because he did give aid and comfort to those trying to do an insurrection or a rebellion. So this is the approach I think makes the most sense. It also, by the way, doesn't suck all the air up out of the room, too, where now the only thing we're talking about is what happened then, and we're no longer talking about health care in the middle of a pandemic um, or wages in the middle of a, effectively a depression. You don't want to suck up all the air out of the room with still the last few days of Trump's time in office, nothing but Trump bad virtue signaling. We want to get back to the business of legislating for the people, and the way you can still give consequences for Trump's actions, but also get back to the business of legislating for the people is to take this approach because it could pass. It could pass. It has a chance of success. It ends our national nightmare and it's a punishment that fits the crime. So that's what I'm advocating. Everybody does. This is what I'm advocating. All the Democrats are in favor of. Um, And if they were to do this, it, it would be historic too. I don't know if this has ever been used previously on any other president, but to me, this looks like an open and shut case in terms of doing it for Trump. So listen, back away from the 25th Amendment stuff, the impeachment stuff. Let's focus on this because it makes sense and it can work and it would end our national nightmare. So let's do it, man. I'm all in on this approach. Okay. God damn it, it's like a thousand degrees in this studio. It is so fucking hot in here. I forgot to turn off the heat, which was my mistake. All right, so I have some good news for everybody. Um, There's a new poll that came out, PBS NewsHour poll. They asked, do you support or oppose the actions of the Trump supporters who broke into the U.S. Capitol? Look at these numbers. These should actually, you know, give you some, some relief here. Only 8% of the country 
supported what they did. 8%, 88% strongly oppose. Only 3% of Democrats supported what they did. By the way, who the hell are those 3% of Democrats? I have no idea. Only 18% of Republicans support the action. Only 18% and only 7% of independents support what happened. So listen, the reason I tell you these numbers is to let you know um, as insane and out of control and ridiculous and scary and creepy the current political moment is, I can assure you there are still effective red lines where virtually everybody could look at it and agree. Yeah, I'm not pro-coup. I'm not pro-insurrection. I'm not pro-rebellion. People generally believe in that sentiment. And only 8% of national adults supported what happened there. Only 8%. I haven't seen, I mean, when you look at numbers like this, honestly, you don't get numbers this conclusive unless it's like the most open and shut case issues. You know what I mean? So like getting money out of politics has support with about 90%. The $2,000 checks was 78%. You know, um, the, the issues, raising the minimum wage is another one that's at about 80%. So it need, it's like the most duh of all issues that gets to numbers like this. And so when you see only 8% of the country supports what happens, you should breathe a sigh of relief. Because, you know, there, were, there was concern that maybe you'd have, I don't know, maybe Trump has so radicalized the Republican base that like 80% of the Republican base would be like, yeah, I support it. No, only 18% of Republicans supported what happened. Only 18%. That's a really small number, man. That's a really small number. So breathe a sigh of relief. Um, there are still there's still some semblance of reasonable norms and rules. People have that internal barometer for what goes too far. And granted, ours has been not calibrated properly and out of whack for a long time. But apparently one thing that's a bridge too far is inciting an insurrection or a rebellion or a coup. And, you know, you might think, well, duh, but... Was it really a given with how crazy everything is right now? I don't think it was. I don't think it was a given. I think that there was a question as to whether or not it would be a scary percentage that, uh, that supported it. But they don't. They don't. And um, that, does, that does make me happy. That even though our system is so colossally flawed, um, there is still this sense of like, Violence isn't the answer. And I I agree with that sentiment. I really do. And, you know, sometimes I catch shit from people to my left who think that political violence is sometimes necessary and justified. But I've always said the only time I'm okay with violence is for self-defense as a matter of principle. And so I think that even when we're trying to reform the system and change the system in in really top-down ways and real, like, wipe the slate clean kind of ways, I still believe in the uh, nonviolent, peaceful resistance approach. And I get the sense that perhaps that view of mine is, is very, very much shared broadly in the United States, where, you know, 
the overwhelming majority of Republicans, 80% of Republicans were like, no, to the Republicans who wanted to storm the Capitol, do a rebellion, overthrow the government, and all that stuff. So, um, little sigh of relief, man. And also, this tells you, I know that I'm right when the next round of Trump polls comes out. Because what did I tell you? I mean, this isn't the boldest prediction in the world, but I said Trump is Trump's approval rating is going to plummet. He was at 42% when this happened, before this happened. And I said he's going to go down... He's going to go down to definitely 35 or lower. But, you know, I would think even 30 or lower. But definitely 35 or lower. So he's going to drop at least about 10 points or so. Um, And I do think that this is some early evidence of that exact thing happening. Because people are not going to take kindly to the fact that this guy was bringing about chaos with what he was saying. You know, funny enough, the last time he had a giant drop in the polls was when he threatened to invoke the Insurrection Act and when he tear-gassed peaceful protesters to do a photo op while holding a Bible in front of a church. What happened was suburban America, who previously many had supported Trump, they looked at him and said, no, you're the one who's violating law and order. You're the one who's bringing chaos and mayhem. It's not the protesters. They're mostly peaceful. You're the problem here. And so he tanked in the polls and Biden had a lead and never looked back after that. We're going to see a similar thing happen here where everybody sort of agrees Trump is the problem. Trump is the one who's bringing about chaos and mayhem. You know, Trump is the one who's against the law and order. And so people are going to turn on him for that reason. So anyway, the results of this really should make you happy because it shows there's still some lines that people don't want to cross. Okay. Um, I actually have to, I'm going to take a break shortly, but I want to do at least one more story here. Um, But I also have to turn off the heat because this is just like, I'm dying. Oh, fuck. My, uh, my mic is stuck. Fuck. All right, I guess I got to take a break now. Um, So when I come back, I got a lot more to talk to you guys about. Trump, um... I do have some other poll numbers to share with you about what Trump did here, and then we'll get to dunking on Joe Manchin for being a gigantic piece of shit who abandoned the working class. So stay right there, guys. We'll be right back.
son of a bitch. All right, I'm back, y'all. Guess who's back, 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 back again, again, again. Kyle's back, back, back. Tell a friend, friend, friend. All right, where was I? Oh, okay. I got one more poll for you on the attempted insurrection. So Trump actually seemed to cross a line this time around that perhaps previously he hadn't crossed. But take a look at this. The majority of Americans want Trump removed immediately after U.S. Capitol violence. This is a Reuter-Ipsos poll. 57% of Americans want Republican President Donald Trump to be immediately removed from office after he encouraged a protest this week that escalated into a deadly riot inside the U.S. Capitol, according to a Reuters-Ipsos poll. 57%. 57%. That's a really strong majority, given the severity of what people are calling for. So, listen, I just talked about it in a previous segment. I'll give you the numbers again. Nationally, this is a PBS NewsHour poll. Nationally, only 8% of Americans support what happened to the Capitol. Only 8%. Even only 18% of Republicans support what happened at the Capitol. So the good news is there really are still certain lines that the American people do not want to see crossed. Because it's very easy to believe that with how... With how chaotic and wild modern political era is, it's easy to get lulled into the false belief that, like, literally nothing matters anymore. But no, but no, 57% now want Trump gone after the U.S. Capitol violence. And, you know, I think it's very clear that the spirit of what everything Trump was saying, he was sort of egging them on the entire way. Um, He did give himself wiggle room in terms of, like, what he literally said, but the spirit of what he was saying was, like, egging them on the entire time. So, thankfully, a large chunk of the American people can sort of see what's going on now, can sort of see the game that's being played, and they don't like it. They think it's unacceptable. So, I told you guys, my prediction is that Donald Donald Trump's approval rating before the capital violence was 42%. He will drop to at least... 35%. He'll go 35% or lower as a result of what we saw. Um, And, you know, I'm hoping that he gets into George W. Bush territory by the time he's out. You know, Bush, I I forget what his low was. It was either 22% or 29%, somewhere in there. Um, Trump is really trying in his last few weeks in office to get as low as George W. Bush when he left office. And this is going to help for sure. This is going to get him super duper low. So it's nice when you realize that actually things do still kind of matter to some extent. You know, it's not like nothing matters at all. This goes to show you people still have some lines, you know, some things that they think shouldn't be breached. And uh, I have to tell you, I'm very happy to see it. Okay, next. Now we're going to go after Joe Manchin. So Joe Manchin is flexing his muscle as the most powerful man in the country now. 
Democratic Senator Joe Manchin dodged a question from CNN's Jake Tapper on Sunday over whether he would support a second round of stimulus checks for Americans totaling $2,000, but indicated his opposition to providing relief to Americans already receiving aid. The West Virginia senator, who is expected to be one of the Senate's most pivotal, pivotal excuse me, um, swing votes in the upcoming Congress, was asked by Tapper whether he would support a number of Democratic legislative priorities that could seemingly be passable given the party's newfound control over the chamber. That's not a yes or no question, Manchin said during the interview. Sending checks to people who already have a check, that's not who we are, he continued. We have done an awful lot of that. Yes, Joe, so like sending multiple checks would actually make sense because I don't know if you know this, but people get multiple bills. So like if you pay the bill in January, you're also going to get another bill in February, and then you're going to get another one in March, and then you're going to get another one in April, so on and so forth until the end of time, (laughs) until you die. So yeah, that's the way it works, you know? I like how he says, that's not who we are. As if, like, sending checks to people in need is something to be ashamed of. And, by the way, it sort of is who we are. Have you heard of a little thing called Social Security? When you hit a certain age, the government realizes, hey, older people are more vulnerable. They might not have the income stream that they need. And so we have Social Security to make sure that our elderly population is okay. And it's a wildly successful and liked program. People love it for good reason, because grandma and grandpa are taken care of to some extent, which is good. That's what like a civilized society does. They look out for one another. So now we have a situation where, what, we sent them the $600 check, and now he's objecting, well, because we sent them the 600 why would we send them the 2000 Oh, I don't know. Maybe because everybody's screwed at the moment. Maybe because if you look at the economic numbers, it's terrifying what you see. 60% of small businesses that closed because of COVID are closed permanently. They're not coming back. Depending on what numbers you look at, 30% or higher of the American people couldn't make rent. And I'm going back three, four months ago now. Imagine what the hell it's like now. You know? By the way, there's going to come a time when, when they get rid of the protections because of COVID, so like there's a ban on, on moratorium, there's a moratorium, I should say, on evictions and foreclosures in some places, right? And some are skirting it, and it's much more complicated. But when you get rid of those bans completely, when COVID is done, I mean, we're going to see a housing crisis, the likes of which we've never seen before. Even the subprime mortgage crisis and the Great Recession, the subprime mortgage crisis, which was literally a housing crisis, this is going to be way worse than that. Way worse. Unless you send people relief. And, you know, he's whining over another $2,000 check. People desperately need that money. They desperately need that money. And you look at the rest of the developed world and how they reacted, depending on which country you look at, again, it's a much more complex issue than I could sum up in this segment here, but you have some places that did, like, temporary nationalization of wages, you know, so when when they lock down because of COVID, the government pays a certain percentage of what your wage is, and you get to stay home. You know, other places do recurring checks. So we had one at the beginning of this nine months ago or 10 months ago, 
Then we had another $600 one, which is significantly less. It's half the one that was sent previously that we just did. And he's saying 2000 is too much. Well, Joe, I hate to tell you, it's an 80% issue. 80% of the American people want the $2,000 checks. You want to know why? Because about 80% of them desperately need the $2,000 checks. Because there's a pandemic and what is effectively a depression. I don't care what the stock market is showing because the stock market is not a reflection on your average working person. This is something that a West Virginia Democrat should know. This is what he always calls himself. I'm not, I'm not like a New York Democrat. I'm a West Virginia Democrat, which in his mind means, oh, I'm more for working Americans. Like I'm more in touch with regular workers. But in reality, what that means is Joe Manchin is more corrupt. Joe Manchin agrees more with Republicans. Joe Manchin is willing to do bipartisan deals that usually include Wall Street deregulation and more war. That's what that means. West, if you're a real West Virginia Democrat, yes, you should be more populist. You should be more in favor of working people. Instead, you're not. You say you're a West Virginia Democrat, and then you bash ideas that would help working Americans. This is a guy who went along with more Wall Street deregulation. I remember because we covered the story. It was a year or two ago, something like that. And, but he's turning his back on 80% of the American people, working people who desperately need help. They desperately need a check on the side of working people. You're not. And I tweeted yesterday, I put Joe Manchin's number in the tweet and said, call, call him and tell him what you think of what he's doing here, turning his back on working people. Call him and tell him what you think. Because if you look at his voting record, it's like about 50% of the time he votes with the Democrats and then 50% of the time he votes with the Republicans. And this is one where he's siding with the Republicans. Now, all hope is not lost though. Because first of all, it's good that everybody's calling him and saying, how dare you? I need that money. We need that money. Working people are struggling now. But beyond that, Democrats have a majority. And if they lose Manchin, they could just get Hawley. Hawley is on the record as being in favor of, he was for the $1,200 checks. He'll probably be on board for the $2,000 checks. So you lose Manchin, you pick up Hawley, and you just got to hold the rest of the Democrats. And we can get this passed through budget reconciliation. But I'm telling you right now, if the Democrats back off of this, if the Democrats can't get this through, good luck in the next election. It doesn't matter how shattered and broken the Republicans are. If you go back on the number one main promise that you made and the reason why you won those races in Georgia, there's nothing anybody can say or do that would make people get over that. Because the whole point was Biden said it, Ossoff said it, Warnock said it, you vote for us, we get the $2,000 checks. Manchin just threw a wrench in that. You better cobble this thing together in some way. You better do it. Because the whole reason you won, one of the main reasons you won, is because you said $2,000 checks are coming in the middle of what is effectively a depression. So you better find a way to get that done. You better do it. And I don't want to hear any bullshit. Oh, we can't because we're one or two votes short. Then find the fucking vote. Then find the vote. We're tired of the sadness and the weakness and the no spine, no backbone, no fight. You better get this through because you said you'd get it through. You better get it through. And if Joe Manchin gets in the way, then we'll find somebody else like Hawley to, to pick up the mantle. But beyond that, also, I don't, I don't even want to accept that Joe Manchin says no to this. By the way, he did have, it was like a waffly comment. Originally, he said no, and then there was a bunch of pushback. And so now he changed it to just waffling, to saying, like, nah, I don't know. So now he's sort of undecided on it. 
So let's force him to say yes. Let's force him to say yes. That's thing number one. But even if he doesn't, we get Hawley. You know, there might be one or two other Republicans that will come on board for it. Who knows? We'll see. But, man, this is so annoying because it really does blow up his main facade, the mask he puts on. It really rips that off because Joe Manchin's whole shtick is, I'm a more reasonable Democrat. I'm a problem solver. I'm a West Virginia Democrat. And the impression he tries to leave you when he says that is, I'm not one of those elitist, out-of-touch coastal Democrats. I'm for working people. And then he turns his back on working people immediately, immediately by abandoning the $2,000 checks. There's a reason why it's an 80% issue. There's a reason why. It's an 80% issue because people are struggling right now. People desperately need those checks. We're effectively in a depression. And so this is the best thing that you could do to help the American people. And if you don't like the idea of thinking of it as some sort of a subsidy or whatever, then just think of it as a tax cut. That's it. A lot of the people who are going to get the $2,000 have paid way more than $2,000 in taxes, so you could just say, I'm giving them back their own money. However you want to think of it and view it to, to rationalize it and say it's okay, I don't care. Think of it however the hell you want to. But it's the right policy. People need help at this time. Working people need help. Through no fault of their own, people are struggling. So if Joe Manchin wants to turn his back on the American people, on working Americans, by all means. But there are consequences for your actions, son. And you need to know it. And that's why people are calling his office and letting him know, you better not do this. How pathetic would it be if freaking Josh Hawley, a Republican, who's kind of a fake populist, because his voting record is really not that populist, even though he talks a populist language. If Josh Hawley outlets Joe Manchin on this issue, so pathetic. You're not like... A more serious person because you don't want to give aid to the American people, Joe. You're not a more serious person. It makes you pathetic, and it makes you also more corrupt, and everybody needs to look at where he takes his money from, too, because the whole tap dance of a West Virginia Democrat, nonsense. He's not for working people. He's just a Democrat who's more corrupt and more willing to do the bidding of big donors. Okay. All right. Next, I will tell you. What's going on with the treason caucus? Okay. So there's a run on what's now being called the Treason Caucus from major corporations. This is an interesting story here. So Judd Legum tweeted, Daily Mail, Marriott and Blue Cross Blue Shield stopped donations to the Treason Caucus who voted to overturn the election as calls mount for Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz to quit. And then you can see a little excerpt here from the article. Big business began a boycott Sunday of Republican members of Congress who followed Donald Trump's demands and voted to overturn the election. Hotel giant Marriott, Blue Cross Blue Shield Association, and Commerce Bank Share, the parent company of Commerce Bank and other community banks, all told popular information they were suspending donations to the group dubbed the Treason Caucus by critics. Ford, AT&T, and Bank of America told popular information they would consider lawmakers' actions when deciding on whether to donate, and CVS, ExxonMobil, FedEx, and Target said they are reviewing their political giving. Berkshire Hathaway said the same. Its owner, Warren Buffett, is the country's most prominent investor, and any boycott by his companies would set the tone 
for other investors. So I have a number of things to say about this. First of all, is this good? Of course, yeah. It's absolutely positive. Um, but people are misinterpreting this, okay? They're thinking like, oh, we got to get rid of these people who voted to overturn the results of a Democratic election, and then let's get other people in there where the corporations can go right back to donating to them and everything could be normal and hunky-dory again. No, the way I look at this is not only should these big businesses, these corporations, stop donating to the treason caucus, they shouldn't donate to any politician because it's, that's open bribery and corruption. That's the way our system works. It runs on open bribery and corruption. And what's so crazy is watching people think that this is such a giant burn of the treason caucus. Yes, the treason caucus, like, they're, any negative thing you want to say about them is true. Like, yeah, they casually are supporting overturning a democratic election that's authoritarian by definition. So they're terrible. But it's not a burn to be like, and by the way, another one, I don't know if they mentioned in this article, but Citibank now said we're going to not donate to them. It's not an own to be like, Citibank said they won't even buy off Republicans anymore. Crazy. Everybody's response to that should be good. Citibank should now not buy off any politicians, period, full stop. We need to get this corporate money out of the political system. It's not a burn to be like, Republicans are no longer going to be corrupt now. Shows you how terrible they are. They're not, the corporations aren't giving them money anymore to do their bidding. That might even inadvertently help Republicans. Because then they get to go out there and say, I'm not taking any big money. I'm all funded by small-dollar donors. Is that what you want them to say? Is that what you want them to do? Because that's what's happening. So it's, it's not like – I think my problem with this story is that people are, like, totally used to the corruption where they don't even think anything of it. And by the way, there's, I think there's like 144 corporations that Judd Legum reached out to to ask them about, like, are you donating and giving money to the treason caucus? Mm. And many of them he made effectively say, no, we're going to stop donating to them. But, like, why are we all just okay with the way the system works in the first place? Like, why is everybody comfortable with the idea that corporations – can buy off politicians and give them campaign contributions. And then the politicians, when you look at their voting records, they do everything that these corporations want. Everything. And on the list of these corporations that they reached out to, are you kidding me? It's everything. It's big pharma. It's health insurance companies. It, you know, it's retailers. It's Wall Street. The military-industrial complex. You have everything on that list. So... You know, if you get them to stop donating to the treason caucus, good, because they shouldn't donate to anybody. But that's the point is like, don't make it seem like the Republicans are more pure because you're trying to own them this way. Where now the Republicans could go out there and say, I'm not taking any money from Wall Street, big pharma, the military industrial complex. I'm not taking big money from any corporations. That's a good thing to not take money from corporations. So like, not only should they stop donating to the treason caucus, but Democrats should come out and say, I'm voluntarily not going to take any big money anymore. You know, and that, by the way, that was one of the genius aspects of Justice Democrats is that they don't take any corporate money, any PAC money or any big money. So all the Justice Democrats are funded through small dollar donations. And that gives them the ability to go out there and say, I'm not corrupted. A lot of my colleagues are corrupted because look at where they're taking money from. I'm not corrupted. 
And now it's viewed as like a punitive measure against Republicans to be like, no more buying you off, sir. I'm not going to bribe you anymore. Hey, like them apples. So anyway, I want everybody, like, stop grandfathering in some of the worst aspects of the system to your worldview. And a lot of people do it. They just sort of grandfather in the corruption and think, like, that's just how it works, idiot. Yeah, but it shouldn't work like that. You should be outraged by that. You should be outraged at the fact that these corporations effectively control our political process. And, yes, not only should they not donate to the treason caucus, they shouldn't donate to anybody. Nobody should be taking money from these corporations because then they represent them over the will of the people. So, yeah, this, this got under my skin, and it got under my skin because everybody's just casually, like, okay with, the way the system works, where these corporations own our politicians anyway. They shouldn't be. Yes, don't donate to the treason caucus anymore, but don't donate to anybody anymore because we don't want them controlling our political system, and they most certainly do. Okay. Now we're going to go to Lindsey Graham. So Lindsey Graham went viral recently because he told Trump that the election's over and to cut the nonsense. It's over. It's done. Get over it. Um, Then what happened was when he was walking through the airport, Trump supporters scared the shit out of him, called him a traitor, were very aggressive. He needed protection from law enforcement. So now Lindsey Graham um, went on Hannity to do damage control. Now, Senator Lindsey Graham, South Carolina. Senator, thank you for being back. Let me let me go first to this. You and I had, um, and I don't think you mind. I we had a private conversation about yeah. the the 10-day audit, and you went into a great explanation. You you just didn't think it was ever going to come close to working, and that you were even saying then we, we should move on. Okay, I disagree with you, but, you know, we have agreed on a lot, and sometimes we're going to disagree. I don't like what's happening in restaurants and airports to any of these people. Well, number one, I want to thank the police who came to my aid. Um, I know people are frustrated. Uh, I wanted President Trump to win so badly. I thought he was a consequential president. I think he made the world safer and more prosperous. I'm a constitutional conservative. I believe in federalism, even when I don't like the outcome. Uh, there's a process under our Constitution. I followed it the best I knew how. I stand my, by my vote. But now tonight, uh, I'm calling on Vice, uh, President-elect Biden to pick up the phone and call Nancy Pelosi and the squad to end the second impeachment. President Trump gave a statement last night that was helpful. Uh, it hit the mark. He wants to move on to a peaceful transfer of power. He wants this to end. I've been with him most of the day. He's going to focus on his agenda, his successes for the American people in the next few days. But Joe Biden said it's up to Congress regarding impeachment. No, President-elect Biden, it's up to you. Pick up the phone, 
call Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and the squad and tell them, stand down. This will destroy the country even further. You have the power to do that. The question is, do you have the courage to do it? I told my supporters at home, the President of the United States, who I admire and supported, that it was time to move on. It was over. I'm asking no more of you, President-elect Biden, than I ask to myself. Pick up the phone and tell Pelosi, Schumer, and the squad to stand down. No more impeachments. Giant, colossal, pathetic cuck. That's what that is. That's Lindsey Graham standing up in the Senate when the attempted insurrection happened, and he said, whoa, 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 this is going too far now. President Trump needs to step down. The election's over. It is what it is. Then getting the backlash from the Trump supporters in the airport, and then immediately bending the knee again, trying to get back in their good graces. Such a political animal. He's like, look at where the wind's blowing. I got to go that direction. What happened was the vicious, relentless Trump supporters made him bend the knee. And so now, the next time he's in public, he's like, I mean, this, uh, this impeachment thing goes too far. We all have to stand with President Trump, and I'm begging Joe Biden, and I'm begging the Democrats, please be reasonable here and bring the country together. And so I just want everybody to know I'm totally on the side of President Trump. I love President Trump. I'm with President Trump. Please stop yelling at me when I walk through the airport. <laughs> I really do get disgusted at, like, just like the, the rank partisan animals who really don't have any principles or any convictions, like that's the thing that gets under my skin because I don't even think they really know what they believe. I don't think Lindsey Graham really knows what he thinks about a number of issues. He just sort of exists in a vapid, vacuous, ever-oscillating sense. And um, I, I, I have no respect for that. I have a hell of a lot more respect for somebody who I disagree with on a lot of stuff, but they mean it, and they're principled, and they have convictions. Um, but Lindsey Graham is not that. Lindsey Graham is just pathetic. But the other lesson to take away from this is, is pretty simple. The Trump supporters who were basically yelling at Lindsey Graham in the airport, that worked. It worked to make him sort of start singing the tune that they prefer, you know? Um, and so... There is this sense where Republican politicians are terrified of their own base. Democratic politicians are not terrified of their own base. Nancy Pelosi is not scared of her own base. She's dismissive. She's condescending. She mocks them. She actively spits in their eye. And so what we need to do is make the corporate Democrats scared of us. You know, let them know certain things that you're pursuing and that you're in favor of, are unacceptable, and we're not going to let you live it down. And so if that means being aggressive in an airport, never physical violence, totally discreet that, but if that means being aggressive in an airport against the corporate Democrats, by all means, make them bend to our will, and that's how we do it. So Republican politicians are scared of their base. It's time to make Democratic politicians scared of their base. It's time to go after the corporate Democrats to make them be better than just corporate Democrats, you know, to make them actually go left on issues that they wouldn't normally go left. So there, there is a lesson that's embedded in this, and I think it's pretty important. And it just goes to show you that these people 
are also totally drunk on Trump. I have, I have to add that fact here, too, because as much as the elected Republicans, fewer and fewer of them are siding with Trump, and now Trump has less than a majority in terms of his nonsense fraudulent election garbage, um, but Trump still has the heart of that base. And what this is going to do is set up that GOP civil war. And it's coming, man. There's no escaping it. There's no escaping it. When the most hardcore, fervent supporters that are the base are totally in love with and in line with Trump, and now you have elected Republicans just starting to back away from the ledge and, and not go all in with Trump, messy days are ahead. It's going to get really ugly. And so that's something that if you're on the left, grab some popcorn, sit back and relax, because they will eat themselves alive. And funny enough, it really has nothing to do with policy. It's all about the personality angle of it, which is extra pathetic, because at least on the Democratic side, you know, I have no doubt that, that the real progressives, the bones they have to pick with leadership is on the actual policy and on the substance. The, the concerns of the Democratic base are policy-based, and that's why they're against the corporate Democrats. For the Republican side, it's just the most hardcore fervent supporters are all in for Donald Trump and totally a member of his cult. And when they see Republican politicians abandoning him, that's going to hurt them electorally. There's no doubt about that. Okay. Now, let's go to Tucker Carlson. Time to go after this smug bastard. Got to change the color of the thing behind me. Change the color of the thing behind me. So Tucker Carlson, when covering the riot in D.C., went after CNN, and he really gave us the perfect quintessential fake populist moment. So right now, serious people are upset about what happened yesterday in Washington. They want to figure out exactly what happened, and they want to know why it happened. But none of the people who should be asking are asking. Instead, they're taking the opportunity to mock the people who were there because they're from the wrong social class. As events unfolded yesterday, one CNN anchor, who, by the way, is the son of a Vanderbilt, which is relevant, you may have blue jeans, made it explicit. Trump supporters are bad because they eat at lowbrow restaurants. Look at them. They're high-fiving each other for this deplorable display of, of, of completely unpatriotic, completely against law and order, completely unconstitutional behavior. It's stunning, and they're going to go back, you know, to the Olive Garden and to their the Holiday Inn that they're staying at and the Garden Marriott, and they're going to have some drinks, and they're going to talk about the great day that they had in Washington, and they really did something and stand up for something, and they stood up for nothing other than mayhem. That's just class war by another name, and never has it been more clear than in that clip. By the way, how much do you appreciate the lecture on patriotism and law and order from CNN? Did you appreciate that? Hope so. There were reports, Trump, as he was watching the event Capitol Hill, he was complaining 
that the optics of what were happening was bad because they looked, and I quote, low class. And Trump hates the look of low class things. He's obsessed with optics. You know, like his apartment was all gold in New York. Um, he's always wearing his, his suit and his tie. He's obsessed with, like, make sure, making sure his hair looks right, even though, it's, you know, it's ridiculous. But he always tries to have it combed and nice, and he's very particular about all that. So he saw what some of the people looked like at the Capitol Hill riot, and he was like, oh, this is not good optics. This is not positive. So he turned on his people over the look of it, over the look of it. And here's Tucker pretending like there's this classism issue and it's incredibly pervasive and it's all the elitist Democrats are classist against the working class, regular schmegular Republicans. Again, Trump turned on his own people because the optics of it. Are you going to do a segment about how Trump is out of touch and elitist? Of course you're not going to. And by the way, it's a lot more complex than Tucker's letting on here because there were people who were at the riot, who were at the protest, who are incredibly wealthy. There were CEOs of companies who were there. There are people who flew in on private jets. This Texas woman who was big in the news, she flew in on a private jet. Um, Are there some people in there who are, you know, poor or middle class and are struggling? Of course there are. But the dynamic is not as simple as like average little guys standing up to the elitist cabal against them. That's just nonsense because Trump is part of that elitist cabal. Trump's Main policy accomplishments since being in office were corporate tax cuts and Wall Street deregulation and, and tax cuts for the wealthy. I mean, this is what he did. He was a continuation of establishment policies. And now you're acting like it's the opposite. Now you're acting like, you know, Trump's fighting for the little guy and all these people there. And, and CNN is looking down their nose at these people. Listen, I agree CNN is incredibly out of touch. But even what Anderson Cooper said there, I wasn't interpreting it as what, how Tucker interpreted it, that, like, they're sneering at people who are going to go eat at Olive Garden. No, the sense I got from what he was saying is, like, they're causing all this chaos and this mayhem, and people are dying, and it's like an attempted coup of the government, and then afterwards they're just going to casually be eating at a restaurant as if they did nothing wrong. That's how I interpreted it. It wasn't like looking down, you know, his nose at Olive Garden or whatever it is. And, dude, you're on Fox News. Please spare me. That's like oligarch central. You guys do the propaganda for the Republican Party, which is one arm of our oligarchy. And yes, CNN usually does it for the Democratic Party. That's another arm of the oligarchy. But stop acting like you're holier than thou. And like Tucker Carlson acting like he cares about classism. Utter nonsense. Utter nonsense. You know, Um, if he really cared about class in the way that he's pretending he does, he would have actively supported Bernie Sanders. He would have done it because that's the only person who is really going to bring about the kind of change and do it through the lens of, of class politics and bring about like social democratic reform to help working people. And of course he didn't, you know, most of the time it was going after Bernie. So it's, it's just so silly. Like I get, I get his lane that he's trying to be, be on here. Like the, I'm the, I'm the populist Republican, you know. I'm bringing back paleoconservatism as opposed to neoconservatism. And yes, his rhetoric every now and then does lean in that direction. But in terms of who he ends up materially supporting, he redirects all of that energy, populist energy on the right, and redirects it to people like Trump who are just standard establishment Republicans 
who are just continuing George W. Bush's policies. So congrats on your sick burn of CNN, but you know you might want to look in the mirror because you and your network are guilty of a lot of the things that you're accusing Anderson Cooper and CNN of being guilty of. Okay. Okay, next. Big changes happening behind the scenes at the White House. Some big changes are happening behind the scenes at the White House. This is from Politico. They say, after he lost his re-election bid in November, Donald Trump immediately told allies he planned to run for president again in 2024 preparing to announce as soon as Inauguration Day. He began backing off the idea after learning that running would require him to release a new round of financial documents that would make him vulnerable to his ongoing criminal and civil investigations and lawsuits, according to two Republicans close to Trump. Then came last week. A growing number of Republicans hold Trump responsible for inciting the deadly riots inside the U.S. Capitol Wednesday. The clashes came hours after they blamed Trump for a pair of losses in Georgia that would leave the Senate in Democratic control. In interviews, more than half a dozen Republicans who had supported or worked for Trump say the president isn't likely to run again, though he may tease it. If Trump changes his mind again and chooses to run, some said they would urge him not to, while others hope he'd be talked out of it. That's fascinating. So the reasons are twofold. He backed off the idea because it would require him to release a new round of financial documents that would make him vulnerable to ongoing criminal and civil investigations and lawsuits. So there are legal issues now. He's in too deep, right? And he doesn't want to give his enemies, including the DA in New York, who's really looking into his businesses, he doesn't want to give them any more ammunition. So kind of trying to protect his own butt and stay out of what could be very serious trouble, that's one reason why he's backing off of the 2024 idea. But also, yes, there's a realization that his own party's turning on him in D.C. He had them kind of fall in line for a long time. He had some sort of message discipline that would keep him in line if he launched an attack on one of the Republican politicians. Last thing they want is their career ruined by a midnight tweet from Donald Trump. But now what happened is the aura of invincibility is going away. So you lost the White House. You lost the runoffs in Georgia. So now the Democrats have the House, the Senate, and the presidency. Now, conventional wisdom is starting to be, this guy's toxic, this guy's trouble. He's an electoral liability. He's an electoral liability. And even Mitch McConnell is understanding that now. So what are you going to do in a situation like that? You have no allies. You alienated, alienated everybody. You turned on Mike Pence, who was the most loyal person on planet Earth to you, Don. He was so incredibly loyal every single step of the way, and you turned on Mike Pence. So 
you're done. You're done, Zo. Wrap it up, skis. It's over. And there's even a sense of realization in his inner circle that he's going out with a whimper. So, I mean, listen, those are legit reasons to think maybe 2024 is not a good idea. Because, yeah, just so everybody understands, he's incredibly corrupt, and Trump and his family have made a tremendous amount of money from being in the White House. Okay? We learned this through leaks recently. What did we learn? That, you know, Trump, it was Jared and Ivanka or something, made $130 million or thereabouts for the first few years of of Trump's time in office. Um, Trump was illegally doing write-offs and just giving the money to Ivanka, basically. But he was writing it off from his taxes. He would overvalue his assets when discussing them, but undervalue them when it came time to pay taxes. So he was basically committing tax fraud. Um, You know, there's a lot, there are financial connections, questionable, sketchy financial connections in terms of Saudi Arabia, in terms of Israel. And then I'm sure there were favors done as a result of that. You know, Um, in the case of Saudi Arabia, he's taken money through his hotel and then he's given them a multi-billion dollar weapons deal as they're committing a genocide in Yemen. So we ate and abetted genocide so Donald Trump can make more money through his D.C. hotel. There's a lot of sketchy stuff. And in terms of the businesses, a lot of sketchy stuff. And so if he has to release more financial documents, he doesn't want to shoot himself in the dick. He doesn't want to do that. So he's worried for that. And he's also worried because this was an instance where he just went too far, man. He just Only 8% of the country supported what happened on Capitol Hill. 8%. And Donald Trump was speaking out of both sides of his mouth and sort of egging them on and cheerleading them a little bit. And you went too far, dog. You went too far. And so now, you know, funny enough, I actually did think that this time it's different. And, like, this is actually the perfect way to just end that Trump era. Goes out exactly like this, where everybody sort of realizes, oh, I mean, it was clear for a long time that this guy wasn't fit to be in the White House. But this is just like the perfect ending where it's like, it's just so obvious and so clear now. And when only only 18% of his own party even supports what happened on Capitol Hill. So it's just the perfect way to go out with a whimper. And the rest of uh, Republicans in D.C. have turned on him. He has no allies left. He turned on Pence. And now, you know, Previously, I would have said, oh, in 2024, if Trump runs, he's going to win the primary for sure. Now, I don't even know if I believe that. Now, I don't even know if I believe that. Uh, I think that it would actually be a race now if he were to try to get involved in 2024. It's not a layup for Trump alienated everybody that's not already deeply in his cult. And even though he's got 20, 25, maybe 30 percent max, that's really not that much, man. It's really not that much. So anyway, um, the fever may have finally broken, and we may be in a position where we're seeing the last of Donald Trump. Just the fact that he has the, the wherewithal to understand. I could be in serious legal trouble if I run again and have to release more financial documents. And also... Even my closest allies are now saying, don't run in 2024, so maybe I won't do it. The fact that there's a recognition and an acknowledgement of that 
pretty much everything. You know, that alone might be game, set, match. So here we are. It seems like he's going out like he came in, which is just absolutely chaotic, insane, and mayhem-inducing. Okay, let's let's talk to Alex Jones. Not talk to him, talk about him. Talking to him is something I never want to do, <laughs> even though we almost had to do it on Joe Rogan's podcast um, on Election Day. Alex Jones surprised everybody this week when he flipped on QAnon. We know that. We know that. I'm saying, Q tells us stuff in all of its lies, is what I'm saying. You keep, you keep interrupting me. Because you're lying. Because you're full of shit. That's why. Because every goddamn thing out of your people's mouths doesn't come true. And it's always, oh, there's energy. Oh, now we're done with Trump. You said he was the Messiah. You said he was invincible. You said it was all over. They were all going to get mode. Now, oh, he's part of a larger thing of Q. I will not suffer your Q people after this. I knew what you were day one. I know what you are now. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick of all these witches and warlocks and pumpkin popsums and everything. <laughs> QAnon lost Alex Jones. He apparently previously had gone back, forth, back, forth a few times, given them some credit, but then backed off of it, and given them some credit, then backed off of it, but now, obviously, he's done with them. This is fascinating. Now, why is he doing it? I mean, there's a, a few theories. It could just be because they're competition, you know? Like, Alex Jones is the conspiracy guy. He's the place you go to for conspiracy stuff. Um, he views them as a threat to that, as a threat to his, like, lockdown on that market. That's possible. It's also possible he's trying to protect his butt legally because he was at the rally that was just before the Capitol Hill riot. And, you know, he was giving a speech and saying things that are probably super questionable. Um, so he might be looking out to protect himself legally. Um, but, you know, another interpretation of it is exactly what you see here, which is just like he actually is fed up with them and doesn't agree with them. And, you know, they have, I mean, he's actually correct that they've said certain things, almost everything they say just factually turns out to be verifiably, provably wrong. Like they're just wrong. They say certain things are going to happen. Those things don't happen, you know, and he probably is, tired of that. But the funny thing is, that's exactly what Alex Jones does. Like, he always says things that turn out to not become true. Always. I mean, he's predicting a Donald Trump landslide victory. You know? Um, so, I, I think this is also indicative of, like, the, the future split that's coming um, in the Republican Party. You're going to have the Trumpists versus the establishment types. You're going to have this very broad 
split. And what you're seeing here is there could even be factions within the factions. So, you know, the Q people are very pro-Trump. Alex Jones is very pro-Trump, but now they're turning on each other. So it's almost like you had this coalition that was sort of kept together by Trump um, and people who don't normally agree with each other. And then now that, you know, Trump is kind of imploding in a number of ways, he lost the election, he egged on this riot, like there's all these problems now, and Trump's no longer that single unifying force, so all those factions are turning on each other. And honestly, I mean, listen, we've seen the same thing sort of happen on the Bernie left. There's now <laughs> civil wars within the civil war on, on the, the Bernie left or on, on the online left. But now this is the right-wing version of that, and it's getting ugly, but I'm kind of loving it. Now I can't wait to see or hear about QAnon stuff where they turn on Alex and they try to act like he's part, he's part of like the globalist plot that he's always been rallying against for years and years and years. I guarantee you something like that is probably coming. These guys have no shame, no ethics, no morals, no commitment to the truth. And um, my guess is you ain't seen nothing yet with how ugly it all gets. Okay, now let me just fix the camera angle real quick, and then we'll talk about Colin Powell. Camera angle fixed, y'all. Camera angle fixed. All right, let's talk about Colin Powell. Here we go. Colin Powell, um, and I should note for the record, I, I actually don't know how to pronounce that first name. I've heard so many people say colon. I say colon, but that sounds like you're talking about a colon. And it's written Colin, so I don't know why people wouldn't say Colin for Colin Powell. I don't know how he says he wants people to pronounce it. But anyway, this is a long way of me saying colon is a funny word and it's funny to talk to somebody and act like that's their name and say it like that's their name. It's like saying somebody's name is Anus. <laughs> Anus Powell. <laughs> okay, anyway, I digress. I'm, I'm way off track here. But colon slash Colin Powell looks like he's leaving the Republican Party over Trump's last stand. Let me ask you about something. You've been critical of Trump from the start, from the campaign, and for all, in my, in my view, the right reasons. You watched your fellow Republicans, people you knew, people you'd worked with, uh, cozy up to him, uh, refused to condemn him, thinking, you know, they'd get away with it, they'd get his support. Um, do you feel like that, that dynamic has broken? Do they realize that, in a sense, they caused, the, they, they encouraged at least this, this wildness to grow and grow? They did, and that's why I can no longer call myself a fellow Republican. You know, I'm not a fellow of anything right now. I'm just a citizen who has voted Republican, voted Democrat throughout my entire career. 
And right now I'm just watching my country and not concerned with the parties. Um, and so I do not know how he was able to attract all these people. Uh, they should have known better. But they were so taken by their political standing and how none of them wanted to put themselves at political risk. They would not stand up and tell the truth or stand up and criticize him or criticize others. And that's what we need. We need people who will speak the truth, who remember that they are here for our fellow citizens. They are here for our country. They are not here simply to be reelected again. Come on, guys. You can make it in private life if you don't get reelected. But right now we need you to be real Americans who we can trust, who will tell the truth, who will argue on the basis of facts and not just argue on the basis of what their primary looks like. You know, I always have mixed feelings when we hear stories like this because do I like it when people leave the Republican Party? Of course. Of course that's a good thing. Um, And we want to encourage that as much as possible. You know, we want people to know, like, we believe in rehabilitation and we believe in second chances. We believe in growth and evolution. So all that stuff is, is positive without a doubt. Um, but the other part of the conversation is here's a guy who helped lie us into an illegal war that killed minimum hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians. Um, and he's also part of a party in an administration that did torture as a matter of routine to help cover up their illegal war, and we ended up torturing people who were innocent, not terrorists, and nothing, didn't do anything wrong. We cut deals with warlords in Afghanistan and Pakistan, and those people shipped us their political enemies and told us it was al-Qaeda, and we tortured them and locked them up indefinitely with no trial. So he's part of an administration that ripped up the Constitution and shit on it. War criminals through and through. He helped lie us into that illegal war. Now, you want to be kind to him and say, no, he was duped too? Whatever. I don't care. You think of it however you want to think of it. But point is, there came a time soon thereafter where he knew what happened, where he absolutely was sure of what happened. And he didn't, he, he didn't have a, a moment then where he had a conscience and he was like, wow, I can't believe I was part of all this. I have to leave the Republican Party now. He didn't leave the Republican Party over that stuff. He didn't leave it over that stuff. He didn't leave it over illegal and offensive wars. He didn't leave it over torture. He didn't leave it over the destruction of habeas corpus and due process. He didn't leave it over any of that. And so I guess my question is, why is, it, why is this the last straw? When the last straw should have been back in the early 2000s for you. And, you know, I guess it's because he was part of those crimes, so he rationalizes it. Uh, We had to do it. But when it's Trump, he can say, oh, okay, this goes too far because he's egging on an insurrection. I agree that goes too far. He was egging on an insurrection. Unacceptable. But really, you should have had this moment of conscience a long, long time ago, dude. A long, long time ago. And he just didn't. He just didn't. And I really do think that that's kind of pathetic. I do. Um, So, listen, again... I'm happy he's leaving the Republican Party. I'm happy when anybody leaves the Republican Party. But let's not act like he's some sort of beacon of virtues and morality. Because he's just not. He's somebody who put up with illegal and offensive wars and war crimes and torture and every negative, terrible thing you can imagine. And just now he grew a conscience. 
And, and the other problem is this, guys. These are now the people who have control over the Democratic Party. It's like it's the Lincoln Project people. It's the Bill Crystals of the world. It's Colin Powell. These are the people who now control the Democratic Party. So in other words, Democratic leadership is old school Republican leadership. It's so-called moderate Republican leadership. Joe Biden is effectively a moderate Republican. And that's my other problem, is that it's not like he's leaving the Republican Party and, and coming to the Democratic side because he certainly had an awakening where he realizes that, like, actually social democratic ideas are preferable and non-intervention when it comes to war is preferable. No. So he's not agreeing on our terms. He's keeping the same beliefs he's always had, and now he's shaping and molding the leadership of the Democratic Party to more reflect that moderate Republican worldview. That's the other problem. And I always said this, when you talk about compromise and you talk about Bernie Sanders, the reason why he was a force is because he did bipartisan agreement on his terms. He would work with Ron Paul about how the drug war is bad, criminal justice reform. He'd work with Ron Paul on ending war because they both agreed war is bad. So I'm all for compromise and negotiation and welcoming people with open arms, but they need to agree on your terms. You don't abandon your values and your principles and your policy ideas. But what's happening is these Former Republicans, these moderate Republicans, are now the ones who are in control of the Democratic Party, and they've brought their moderate Republican ideas and have molded the party and have shaped it. And so now the party is not FDR's party. Now the party is Bill Clinton's party. Now the party is the moderate Republican Party. And that's a problem. So yes, I'm glad he left the Republican Party, but let's not throw a parade and act like he's the most moral person in the world. He's not even close to that. Okay. Joe Biden responded to the current political moment by heaping fawning praise on his political opponents. What this president has done is ripped the Band-Aid all the way off to let the country know who he is and what he's about and how thoroughly unfit for office he is. And you see already a number of Republicans. I was so proud. I know we're on opposite sides. I'll be criticized from some of the people in my party for saying this, but I've worked very hard with and against the former, the president, the former, soon to be former majority leader, Mitch McConnell. I thought what he said on the floor of the United States Senate was, in fact, the right thing to do. He stood up. He's ashamed. I spoke with a guy I have enormous respect for, enormous respect for, and I ran against him, Mitt Romney. I spoke to Mitt this morning again. This is a man of enormous integrity, enormous integrity, who lives his faith. There are so many more, but there's others who should be ashamed of themselves but they make up a minority of the Republican Party. This isn't about Republican-Democrat anymore. This is about people who understand what this country is about and the things we have to agree on and move together on. I, I just think that um, if you look at it, uh, speaking to some of my Republican colleagues, and I've spoken to a number of them over the last, uh, last month since, I've been, since we've been elected, 
through recently as the day in which this god-awful debacle was taking place up on the hill. And uh, I think they understand that they're going to have to, we need a Republican Party. We need an opposition that's principled and strong. And I think you're going to see them going through this idea of what constitutes the Republican Party. He's giving him too much credit, man. He's giving him too much credit. Um, and this is, this is the problem with the corporate Democrats, with people like Joe Biden, is what he wants to be true is this notion that, well, you have the current Republican Party, the Trump Party, that's bad, that's evil, that's wrong, that's terrible, and we all need to acknowledge that and, and don't mince words on it. But what I want to do is go back to Republican Classic, and the Republican Classic Party well, that was a glorious party that simply had disagreements with us on the size of government and on taxes and on a number of fiscal issues or, and some social issues. But ultimately, these are good, honorable men who are principled, who are statesmen. And that's what we want. We want to go back to that. But here's the problem. That's not true. The Trump Republican Party and the Republican Classic Party is the same party. The only difference is Trump does mean tweets. Trump is unhinged with no filter. In terms of how he governed versus how the Republican Classic Party governed, they're exactly the same. Donald Trump is George W. Bush in terms of his legislative agenda with minor differences, and I mean minor. 95 to 96% of the time, Trump is just Republican Classic, but he's a dick. That's the only difference. So why would you rehabilitate people who are effectively your hardcore political enemy? Why would you do that? Biden was in the White House with Obama. Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember how the Republicans obstructed everything? Even when you said, I'm going to do their ideas, we're going to do Obamacare, which was originally a Republican idea. It's an individual mandate system for health care. So you took a health care plan from the Heritage Foundation, which is a right-wing think tank, which is Mitt Romney's idea. You proposed it, and you got zero Republican votes. Zero. You repeatedly did their ideas. Barack Obama cut taxes for small businesses a number of times. Did they give him credit on that? No. So why are you rehabilitating this incredibly obstructionist party, which simply believes in the same vision as Donald Trump? And the answer is decorum and civility. And the answer is Biden himself actually half agrees with Republicans. He effectively is a moderate Republican. So that's the problem. The problem is there is no Democratic Party. There's the Republican Party, and there's the Diet Republican Party. That's what we have. And the Trump Party is the Republican Party, and the Trump Party is the classic Republican Party, one and the same effectively when it comes to legislative agenda. And the Diet Republican Party half agrees with the Republican Party. That's Joe Biden, effectively a moderate Republican. The only differences are, you know, he doesn't despise gay people. And maybe he would have an ever so slightly higher marginal tax rate on the top for the rich. That's pretty much it. They definitely agree on a lot of areas we don't want them to agree, like Wall Street deregulation, like endless war. So this was the problem. is they, You had the Democrats make a distinction between the good Republicans and Trump. Trump is the bad Republican. You know, all the Republicans who are like Trump are bad. But Mitch McConnell and Mitt Romney and the rest of them, no, they're serious statesmen who we can work with towards, you know, making the country better. But you can't. 
Their ideas are terrible. You should have been clear about that from day one. And you should have been clear that they don't represent the American people. They don't. They represent corporations. They represent the wealthy. And you should go in there and fight. That should have been the mindset. I will, if you want to work with me on behalf of the American people and do what the American people want, then let's do it. If not, I'm going to fight you and call you the enemy because that's exactly what you are. If I'm for raising the minimum wage, 80% of the American people are for that. You're not for that, Mitch McConnell? You're my enemy, and I'm going to fight you on it. But no, it's all let's hold hands and sing kumbaya and go back to business as usual, which was screwing the people in the first place. Okay. All right. Let me take a quick final break, and then when we come back... um, I got one story left for you when we come back, and it is Morning Joe suddenly realizing that FDR was right about everything. I love that clip. Stay right there.
come back. Let's let's bring this bad boy home with a interesting segment on um, Joe Scarborough. Haven't talked about Joe Scarborough in a while, but you'll see in a minute why we are now. This story is really interesting to me for a number of reasons. Um, as a general rule, people in corporate media despise social democracy. How do we know that? Well, they have a lot of corporate advertisers, and um, they have bosses, and they usually hire people who are relatively sympathetic to the status quo, and social democracy is, of course, not the status quo. And also, these people hate Bernie Sanders, and Bernie Sanders is an FDR-style New Deal Democrat or social Democrat. Well, apparently Morning Joe just stumbled on the fact that FDR slash Bernie Sanders is right about everything when it comes to economics. This is something. That people with my viewpoint, moderates, the neoliberals that you talk about, that you say so many progressives despise because they've been running the White House. I mean, there are people like me that would make the argument, if we don't push forward these economic reforms, it is American capitalism itself that is endangered. Because I grew up in a white suburban neighborhood in Atlanta, Georgia. My mom and dad, they struggled through the Great Depression. But, hey, they had middle-class jobs. And they could afford to send us to college. And they were bought into the American dream. If it keeps getting worse, there are going to be fewer and fewer Americans buying into the American dream. So don't we have to do this to save American capitalism from itself? Uh, that's certainly my belief. And, and, and this, this tag that moderate Democrats like Barack Obama and Joe Biden have gotten as socialists, this, this socialist crap that Republicans and the right just at every instance, any program that the Democrats propose is socialism is ridiculous. The, the most successful capitalist free market economies on earth, some of them, are the Nordic countries, Finland, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, that are absolutely capitalist and also have these really robust uh, social welfare systems, social democracies that, as they understand, allow their free market capitalism to prosper, allow them to have more billionaires, sorry, Anand, per capita than the United States does. So, yeah, if, like, like FDR in the 30s, right, he, he was saving American capitalism, this rich guy, and, and welcomed the, the hatred of his fellow rich people who called him a socialist at the time. And, and by the way, the FDR analogy I think is good and a better one, a more hopeful one than the German 1930 analogy, which is that, as Adam said, he immediately or suggested, as Biden should do, he, he, he should deal immediately with the acute crisis of, of the pandemic. So that, that's exactly what FDR did, right? This is on MSNBC. And they're casually having a conversation about how the social democracies, the Nordic countries, are awesome and how FDR was right. I'm floored. This blows me away. And it really goes to show you how a lot of the commentary is just personality-based. Like the elitists in D.C. and New York don't like Bernie Sanders, and so they shit on all of his ideas because they don't like him. 
it actually reminds me of like the whole force to vote conversation that just happened. The force to vote idea was great, but Jimmy Dore proposed it, and a lot of people who have positions of power don't like Jimmy Dore, so the idea is just you know scoffed, scoffed at, mocked, laughed at, treated as unserious. It's like I don't care who comes up with it. If the idea is correct, the idea is correct. This is. This is a situation like that where Bernie was saying all of these same things, and they're like, yeah, Bernie Sanders, socialist, crazy, far left, evil. And now they're just having a casual conversation about how social democracy is awesome and the Nordic systems work phenomenally well. And the other thing I noticed, and this says everything, doesn't it? It's all in the framing. So the way they're talking about it is like this. Yeah, the social democracies are great because they're the best examples of a success story for capitalism. That's how they're framing it. So since they're framing it in that way, these elites in their studio are like, oh, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense, right? Because they're saying a positive thing about capitalism. You could just as easily talk about social democracy as a much more socialistic version of capitalism with a very robust welfare state. So it is that's what it is, right? It's a mixed economy. It's a hybrid economy. It has elements of socialism and capitalism. But since they frame it as talking about the capitalism part being good, all of a sudden, all of the critiques they normally have are gone. Well, interesting, because you were just telling me that Bernie Sanders is unreasonable and he's a crazy socialist. And, you know, he, of course, wants universal health care and free college and stronger unions. Well, what what the hell do you think a lot of the Nordic countries have? That's what they have. They have universal health care. Some of them have free college. In some of them, everybody's in a union, and so you don't even need a minimum wage because the union contracts negotiate way higher than what would be considered a minimum wage. So all the same ideas that Bernie Sanders supports that you shit on, now all of a sudden you're praising them, and you're just talking about them through the lens of, oh, this is a, a capitalism success story. I don't care what you call it. You call it whatever the fuck you want. You want to call it a capitalism success story? You want to call it a socialism success story? You want to call it, I don't fucking care, chicken pot pie. Whatever the fuck you want to call it, I don't care because the ideas are good and it makes sense. And whatever can get you to support it, I'm down for that. So if people on the right want to view it as a success of capitalism, fine, then let's do that here. People on the left want to view it as a success of socialism, fine, whatever, let's do that here though. That's the main point. The whole idea of social democracy that's so appealing is you take the basics off the table in a civilized society, and then you give people an equal shot at success. It's a lot easier to have a shot at success when everybody has health care, everybody has a living wage, everybody has an ed education opportunity, everybody has paid vacation time by law, all these positive things. And stunningly, even they agree it's their positive things when you frame the conversation in a certain way. By the way, Noam Chomsky used to make this point all the time, and it's true doesn't matter who you talk to in American politics. You could talk to Republicans. You could talk to Democrats. If you take away the labels and you just give people the issues, the ideas, and lay them out, social democratic ideas are wildly popular with everyone, with everyone. So um, I really think that this presents an opportunity for the left to, to mature and grow and realize you have a winning hand. And you need to start playing it like it's a winning hand. Because I think strategy on the left has been abysmal for a very long time. And you don't even realize how easy it could be to have social democratic wave of victories and how we can reform the system because our ideas are so incredibly powerful that you do get agreement on it from Marxists on a message board 
all the way to freaking Joe Scarborough sitting in his comfy studio. That, yes, this is the direction we need to go in. We need to go in the social democratic direction. We need to, you know, take, carry the mantle of FDR. Forget the era of big government is over. Nah, bitch, the era of big government is starting again right now. And it's so, pow- it's so powerful and it's so popular that the polls show people are, are with us overwhelmingly. And we can even get Morning Joe to agree on this stuff. If you frame it a certain way, and the framing again is for them, oh, it's a success of capitalism. Fine, I'll, I'll take it. But let's do these ideas and stop shitting on the guy who presents these ideas to us, Bernie Sanders. It's amazing how it really does go to show you, though, how like unserious they are. They're not intellectual. They're, they're ridiculous. They're knee-jerk reactionaries in many ways because, because the ideas came from Bernie. Oh, bad, not good, we don't like it. But now they're warming to it because of the framing here of like, oh, it's a success of capitalism. So whatever, man, I'll take it. I don't care how you get to the right position as long as you get to the right position. But it really is a, a mind-blowing experience to watch the people on MSNBC suddenly realize Bernie's right about stuff. Social democracy is awesome, and we should move forward and embrace the vision and the ideology and the path of FDR. Okay. We are done, baby. I love you guys. I'll talk to everybody soon. Have a great rest of the day. Peace.